The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Are you starting to feel like now this is where I have an opportunity to hit over 400? Then I went out and I did the one thing that I drastically shouldn't have done. I went out and tried to hit 400. Game Time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is first ballot Hall of Famer and Kansas City Royals Vice President of Baseball Operations, George Brett. Presented by Geico. Today's guest is one of baseball's greatest hitters. Now, we could probably wake him up out of a deep sleep on any given night and he'd still be able to hit line drives into the gaps. He's one of only four players with 3,000 hits, 300 home runs, and a 300 batting average. He's also the only representative of the Kansas City Royals in baseball's Hall of Fame. It is certainly my pleasure to welcome the great George Brett. George, welcome to game time. Well, thanks, Boomer, and thanks for having me on your show. So you're currently VP of operations for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, how do you think the whole season played out? How did Major League Baseball handle COVID-19, and how in particular did the Royals handle it? Uh, the Royals were really good. I mean, I didn't go on any road trips. I don't travel with them at all. But I got wind of how they handled the guys on the road. For instance, going to a baseball game from the hotel, there was only 12 people per bus. Everybody had assigned seating they would have a guy register where that guy was sitting. They would get to the ballpark, they would wear their masks, uh, they would come home after a game, they would have food for them in a conference room at the hotel. Everybody sat at tables for one, and uh, we didn't have one outbreak once the season started, which I thought was really amazing. But uh, I think baseball had one thing in mind, was to get through the World Series in a time like this, and they were able to do it. So my hat goes off to Rob Manfred and the rest of the crew. I hear you guys have a new part owner out there. Um, Patrick, uh, what, what's his name? Patrick, um... Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he Patrick Mahomes. Right. He's <laughs> almost as good as you were. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, George. I interviewed him before he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, and right. I met his his mom, who brought him into our studios in New York. And I was so impressed by that young man. How 
just mature he was. And then he was telling me how he was fielding ground balls and shagging fly balls on a major league diamond when he was five and six years old with his dad, Patrick Mahomes, who played for my New York Mets. And I knew he was going to be a sensation. I didn't realize he was going to be this good, this fast. What's it like being around him? Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've gotten to know him a little bit. Uh, I would say we're friends. We have each other's phone number. Um, he likes to play golf. I know that. I helped get him into the country club I'm at in Kansas City and also the president of the Chiefs, Mark Donovan. We kind of rushed him through the process a little bit. He had a little <laughs> bit more uh, more pull than a lot of the newer members that, that try to get in. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And I just wish I wish he would start calling me Mr. Brett. I mean, I, <laughs> that really bothers me. I mean, here is maybe one of the greatest football players in the country right now, and he still calls me Mr. Brett. And every time I play golf with him, it's not Patrick, please just call me George. Okay, Mr. Brett, you know, but yeah, he's just really, you, he, you know what he's done? He's not only taken Kansas City by storm, but he's behaved and, and said all the right things. He's well-mannered and uh, he's been a great tribute to our city. George Brent once said, I really think one reason why I played the way I did because I had brothers at home who would kick my butt if I didn't play and hustle the way I did. Another reason was his father, Jack. If my dad were still alive, Brett commented, and I told him I made it to Cooperstown, he would probably ask, why couldn't you have gotten five more hits in 1980? And I love that story, uh, George, because you and I definitely are on parallel paths. My dad was a World War II vet as well, didn't believe in participation trophies. He believed <laughs> in hard work. He believed in discipline. And he definitely believed in respect for the game that you played. Yeah, he did. Uh, uh, it, it's funny, being the youngest son, or youngest son of, of my father, Jack, and my mother, Ethel, uh, all my, all three of my brothers, older brothers, were all great athletes. I mean, my brother Ken was one, of, maybe one of the best athletes ever to come out of Southern California. I was always compared to my brothers growing up. You don't hit as good as your brother Ken. You don't run as fast as your brother John. You're not as tough as your brother Bobby. You know, and in basketball, it was oh, you, you're, you're terrible. In football, your brother tackles harder than you. He throws a tighter spiral. But I think growing up the youngest and having my dad, who was very, very, very strict, uh, and three brothers that loved the game of baseball. Uh, that I was going to go out and give it the best I had. And, and uh, uh, believe me, Boomer, I blew my own expectations playing 20 years and getting 3,000 hits. Now, there were two other big influences in your life as I see this. One was your fellow rookie, Hal McCray, when you got to Kansas City, and the other was hitting coach Charlie Lau, right? Right, yeah, both of them played a major part of my success. I think Whitey Herzog did also. But uh, when I first got there, Charlie just watched me for the first uh, I got up in 1973. I got called up for two weeks. I played two games, got sent back down, got called up in September. I ended up getting 45 at-bats and hit 125, and Charlie didn't say a word. The next day, I was one of the last players cut in spring training. Um, I went down to AAA in Omaha, Nebraska. Two weeks later, they traded the third baseman. They gave me the job. I hit 200 at the All-Star break. Charlie Loud didn't say a word. And then all of a sudden, he wanted to see if I would make any adjustments on my own which I didn't, I didn't know what adjustments to make. And he came up, we had a heartfelt talk on the way back from Cleveland to Kansas City. And he said, he thinks I can make it. I'm the only guy, I'm the only coach here. Everybody else wants to send you to AAA. He said, if you give me your heart and soul, I think we can go somewhere. Sure enough, we changed my whole approach to hitting. We set a goal for 250 that year. A month and a half later, I was at 250. I got it to 292 with three games to go. 
which meant I hit about 390 the second half of the season yeah. or 400. And uh, they fired him with three games to go, and I ended up going 0 for 11, hitting 282. They fired uh, – the next year they brought Charlie back, and we continued our work. And I think he's the one that taught me the basic fundamentals of my swing and to stay with it through slumps, how to get out of slumps. And then I had Hal McCray, who was also working with Charlie Lau. Uh, Hal came over from the Reds in a trade, had a terrible first year with the Royals, and uh, all of a sudden he started seeing success. So every day Hal and I were together, but just watching the way Hal played the game. I never played it. I always played it hard, but not that hard. And uh, just watching him every day go in and break up double plays. And then I became that guy to, hey, if he can do it, I can do it and stretch singles into doubles, doubles into triples, take extra bases when not, not a lot of people would. I mean, Hal really taught me how to do that. I understand that Charlie Lau got fired. You just brought that up. And I heard that, you know, you went 0 for 11 since he was fired, but you also went, went back in the locker room and were crying because he was fired. Is that true? Yeah, well, he was, he was kind of my security blanket. I mean, we would hit extra boomer every day on the road at 3 o'clock. We'd hit extra every day at home at 4. Now, some days those swings would only be for – my extra session would be for 20 swings. <clears throat> okay, everything's still the same as it was before. Let's go out there and get it. He, yeah. he didn't believe in overkill. Sometimes, some days it might have been 50 swings. What the hell happened from yesterday? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it looks like you haven't been paying attention. But every time that game started, I felt comfortable that my swing was intact. American League umpire Steve Palermo was once asked about George Brett and reportedly said if God had him at no balls and two strikes, he'd still get a hit. And after those tough 70s losses to the Yankees, all of a sudden we get to the 1980s, George, and things start to break right for you. Well, they weren't bad. I mean, I made some costly errors early in my career in the playoffs, but uh, we lost to the Yankees in uh, 76. Shambles hits a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. I had a three-run home run, I think, in the top of the eighth to tie the game at six. And then he hits one in the bottom of the ninth. The first pitch he saw from our relief pitcher, Mark Littell. The, seven, the next year we lose in the fifth and final game again, this time in Kansas City. And then in 1978, we lost in four games. And we missed the playoffs by two games, I think, in 79. And then we swept the Yankees in 1980, which was like <laughs> the World Series. And unfortunately, the, the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, they had some heartbreaks in those late 70s also. We played them when we ended up losing the World Series in six games. We make the playoffs, lose in 81, lose in 84, and then win the World Series in 85. But uh, beating the Yankees in 1980 was, at that time, the greatest thrill of my life. Yeah, I would imagine so. After fighting with them and yelling with right. them and, and everything that went on with them. Me and Nettles got in a fist fight. Yes. <laughs> The fifth and final game in 1978, I believe. I mean, it was the, I mean, I threw a haymaker at him. I slid into third. He thought I slid in too hard. You watched those whole series, though. We hated each other. The Yankees hated the Royals, and the Royals hated the Yankees. They were the oh. big town from the east. We were the small Midwestern town. They had a huge payroll. We didn't have a big, big payroll. They would sign the free agents. We would bring them up through the farm system. But you couldn't have two bigger opposite teams playing each other. But it really developed into, I think, in the, starting in 76, 77, it started into one of the best rivalries in baseball. Yeah, it was, it was intense. And I would think that you and Goose Gossage would have a few laughs over a few beers from time That's to time. That's all given. we do is laugh right now. But you know <laughs> what's right. funny? I never said one word to Goose Gossage my whole career. Not one word. 
we were on the same all-star team probably four or five times. I never said one word to him, never one word. But that, that's the way baseball was then. You know, it was they would put all the pitchers on one wall and all the position players on the other wall. And you would maybe say hi walking down the tunnel from the locker room to the to the field, say hi. You might sit next to somebody by on the bench once in a while. But there was not a lot of conversation back then with pitchers. All right, so back in 1980, let's start there. You're flirting with 400. You have a four-hit game back in August of uh, 1980. You, you get your, your, your average up to 401. And are you starting to feel like now this is where I have an opportunity to do something and that's hit over 400? I learned a lot about guys that hit 400 uh, in 1980, but uh, I didn't think about it then. I was swinging the bat extremely well, uh, obviously. Um, there were six weeks to go in the season. The highest that I, ever, I had ever hit before was 333. So for, you know, to get 67 points higher than that is higher than your career or your highest average ever. I really didn't think about, but little did I know for the next month, I would still be over 400. And uh, got down to two weeks to go in the season. Now, after talking to the media about the, the possibility of being the first guy to do something since Ted Williams, and at first I just laughed at it. I mean, I've said, are you kidding me? There's six weeks to go in the season. You guys are nuts. Well, two weeks to go in the season, I'm still getting the same question because I'm over mm -hmm. 400. Then I went out and I did the one thing that I drastically shouldn't have done. I went out and tried to hit 400, where before I was just seeing the ball and hitting it. And if I made it out, I didn't care. And then all of a sudden it got to 399, then 396. Then I started pressing even more. It got down to as low as 384. All the media left me alone after that. I had five games to go in the season. I had 500 the last five games. Got it back up to 390. I missed hitting 400 by five hits. And, uh, I went home that year for Thanksgiving, and the first thing my father said to me, <laughs> not that, not that, hey, good home run to beat the Yankees in the third and final game of the playoffs, hitting it off Goose Gossage. Hey, he didn't say anything about that. The first thing he said to me is, you couldn't have tell why couldn't you have got five more goddamn hits? That's what he thought. <laughs> well, he's <laughs> a tough son. If you better care of yourself, you probably would have done it. Oh, you know what? I, I love the story. When George Brett went to renew his Missouri driver's license, the officials reportedly weighed the need for the mandatory vision test. Why? Because they said if he could hit 350, they claimed we figured he could see. And they were right. He could see. And he how, could see a baseball. How do find all this stuff out? That's oh, George, I got, I got so much stuff about you, you have no idea. Oh, my God. All right, so hemorrhoid guy, pine tar guy. Uh, and I know the hemorrhoid thing happened during the World Series, obviously got a lot of press, and that had to be difficult to deal with. I mean, you're right in the middle of the World Series and you have hemorrhoid surgery. How did it happen, like, and why did it happen? Well, I went to a proctologist, and I didn't never been to a proctologist before, and it was uh, after we beat the Yankees. We stayed in New York for two or three days, and, and I was complaining about discomfort, and I asked one of our trainers, and he looked at it, and he says, oh, my God, you got a bunch of hemorrhoids. And, and so I said, well, you know, it's really uncomfortable. So we find out Philadelphia wins the, the playoff series against Houston. So we fly to Philadelphia. They take me to a proctologist, and the proctologist is asking me all these questions. How old are you? I said, 27. God, that's kind of young. Um, he said, uh, what's your diet? And I said, well, I'm single. I, I probably don't eat. You know, I drink 
some beer. I drink some tequila. I drink some wine. Eat a lot of cheeseburgers, nachos, things like that. Yeah. He said, have you been under any stress lately? And that was the year of 400. I yeah. said, yeah, a little bit. And we just played the Yankees and we beat them. And now I'm playing in my first World Series game tomorrow against the Philadelphia Phillies. So I've been under stress for about the last six or seven, eight weeks. And he says, well, that's probably the reason of it. You know, well, it could have been worse. Roger Maris, when he was trying to break uh, Babe Ruth's record, um, the home run record in 61, he lost his hair. Stress, you know, made him lose his hair. He went bald. Well, I would rather still have this and had hemorrhoids for a short period of time <laughs> but still have hair. So it really wasn't that bad. And then in 1983, the Pine Tar game, five, three years later, for, for a three-year period, you go to visiting ballparks, you know what that's like. You know, you get guys that have some beers, they sit by the on-deck circle or by your bench and they start yep. screaming obscenities at you the whole time. Mm -hmm. I was the pint, I was the hemorrhoid guy. And all of yes. a sudden after July 24th, 1983, I was the pine tar guy. And I've never been so thankful for that because now I have to remind people that I had hemorrhoids during the 1980 World Series. Everybody's <laughs> forgotten about that. And I'm related to as the pine tar guy, which I think was good for me because it was a home run to help win a ball game. And it was off a guy, Goose Gossage, that is one of the premier, premier relief pitchers in the game. And then the ensuing argument with the umpires, it showed my passion to win a ball game. Now, the interesting thing, of course, the Pine Tar game comes against the Yankees and Billy Martin. And then the resumption of that game after that uh, home run was awarded back to you, you couldn't play in it because... You were suspended because you... For some reason, Boomer, they threw me out of that game. <laughs> yeah, well, they shouldn't have thrown you out of the game. They should have thrown the umpires out of the game. But the umpire, Tim McClellan, was too big. You weren't charging him to run him over, were you? No, no, I was just running out there. I don't know what would have happened. And, Timmy, <laughs> I always got, a, I always got uh, along great with all the umpires. For instance, every time I'd walk up to bat, my first at-bat, I would always say, you know, I'd always kick my little hole in the back on the back line and I'd say, how's my favorite umpire doing today? And the catcher would start laughing and, you know, but every I got along great with umpires and and uh, I was running out there. I don't know what I was going to do. <laughs> Timmy McClellan tells the story when I've seen Timmy and, and I've heard him speak at dinners. His big story is, yeah, I asked George Brett what he was going to do to me when he ran out of that dugout. I'm six foot five. I weigh 260 pounds. I got shin guards on. I got a bat in one hand and a mask in the other. What were you going to do to me? And I said, <laughs> I was going to do exactly what I did. Run up to you and then hope to be pulled away because I was not going to hit him. Hal McCray was one of a myriad of George Brett's teammates who marveled at his commitment and his focus. One of the things that helped George Brett become such a great player, McCray said, is that he never worried about politics and all that stuff that goes on around a team. George was always more interested in looking for a pitch to hit hard than playing politics or talking about management. And I got to say, that is kind of like one of the nicest compliments a teammate can give another team. And then the problem means a lot to you coming from him. Yeah, it does. I think anytime, uh, you know, it's funny. I had a chance to play with Hal for about 15 years, 16 years. We were teammates. And then he became manager of the Royals. And, uh, and I got a chance to play for him. And I really respect that guy. I always said that not only was he a, one of my favorite teammates, but maybe the best teammate I've ever had. 
but uh, he was one of the fiercest competitors. And, and I just kept my mouth shut. I looked at the lineup card. I saw I was hitting third. I saw I was hitting some days it would change. One day I walked to the ballpark. I'd never played left field in a game before. I walked into the ballpark in Fenway Park. I'm playing left field. I said, okay, that's great. Let's go. And I went out there and took a lot of balls and betting practice and, First inning, Jim Rice hits one off the wall. I held him to a single, and I'm going, man, this is pretty fun out here, you know? But I never really got into the politics of, yeah. of, of baseball, of ownership, or anything like that. I just wanted to go out and play and play as hard as I possibly could. All right, this is the TMZ part of the show, and I want to ask you about how you met your wife, Leslie, and how you impressed her with some Brooklyn treats known as bagels and cream cheese. Now, is that a true story? She worked at the Ralph Lauren store in the plaza, and I had run into her there a few times, and then I ran into her at a, a friend of mine's steakhouse in Kansas City one night. We actually had a long conversation with a friend of mine, and the next day she was telling me she loves bagels, and I was driving the next morning to go to the doctor's office. Um, so I had some knee surgery, and I had to get something taken care of there, and I just decided to stop off and bring some bagels to her and called her. You know, Back then, I had a, I, listen to this, I had a car, a car phone. No cell phones back then, but right. I had a car phone. So I called up the store. It was about 1030. And, and I said, hey, can you tell Leslie to come up front? I gave her some bagels and stuff. She was kind of seeing some other guy at the time. And next thing you know, she was dating me and we ended up getting married. I just want to say thank you for your hustle, your work ethic, and your reputation to the game of baseball. Well, Boomer, thank you very much. I really appreciate that coming from a pro like yourself. All right, thanks, George. I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Hall of Famer Paul Molitor. You watch baseball now. I was watching a playoff game this year, Boomer. There was 20-something strikeouts after five innings. I turned it off. I turned it off. I said, I can't watch this crap.